Okay, the first part of the reading is from Nehemiah 6, and it's verses 1 to 9, and that can be found on page 488 um, of your Bibles. Further opposition to the rebuilding. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his assistant to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, thanks, Debbie. Forgot to check with Adrian. There are some slides that goes with my talk. Thank you. You've got those. That's wonderful. Good. Now, there's going to be some words on the screen. I don't want the picture yet, Adrian, uh, but I want uh, to see if you know who spoke these words. Some of you will get it straight away. I can't do the voice, but I'll say the words. See if you know who spoke these words. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. <laughs> I can't do it as well as him. Who, come on, who knows, who, who said that? Churchill, Winston Churchill, Sir Winston Churchill, uh, who was speaking at a time of deep crisis for this country, wasn't he? 1940, the dark days of 1940, as Britain uh, was standing alone against Nazi Germany, and uh, he was uh, an amazingly uh, inspirational leader in the Second World War. Am I allowed to ask who is alive when those words were spoken? <clears throat> Some of them. 
few, few hands up. I asked at the nine o'clock, and uh, so I thought I'd be fair. Amazing words. <laughs> don't ask, don't ask. Uh, other leaders have spoken stirring words, haven't they? In the face of great danger, great uh, uh, oppression. Uh, what about Queen Elizabeth I, who said this as she awaited the Spanish Armada, and she was gathered with her troops at Tilbury. She says, I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and a king of England too. Again, inspiring her troops, her people, to withstand the attack. Or we might even think of Maggie Thatcher and her speech to the Conservative Party conference. I'm not entirely sure the year. I know it's in the 1980s, but uh, she said this. To those waiting with bated breath for that favourite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. And then there's a massive round of applause. <laughs> the ladies not for turning. Great, isn't it? Well, these and others, of course, are, are, are determined leaders, resolute leaders, unwavering in the face of opposition and criticism. Uh, may I add, I'm not a diehard Tory, if you're wondering, uh, but uh, I do uh, I, I admire Margaret Thatcher uh, for her strong leadership. Nehemiah was a leader like that too, wasn't he? Resolute, determined. And we're getting to know him a bit, aren't we, as we read his book, as we look at his book together on Sundays and in the middle of the week. But before we get into chapter 6, let me read to you some words of another great leader. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That, of course, is St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesian church and recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Well, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say to them, you are not the enemy. Go on, have, give it a go. Just, you are not the enemy. Talk to your neighbor. Sometimes, sometimes we can see the people around us as the enemy. Uh, sometimes we can see the people in our lives as the enemy. Sometimes even we can see people in our own church as the enemy. But the Apostle Paul is very clear, isn't he? He's very clear. He reminds us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the people around us in church. It's certainly not those who are on the fringes of church. And it's certainly not those who are nowhere near being on the fringes of church or having faith in Jesus. No, it's not. Our true enemy, our opposition, if you like, is Satan. And he loves it when we think the worst of each other. And he likes it when we don't, uh, when we don't know uh, it's him talking to us. We don't want to concentrate on him, we don't, but we need to be alert. As 1 Peter says, Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, some people study animals, and some people have studied the behavior of lions, and uh, they have worked out why a lion roars. 
Now, what a lion is doing in it roars is it's, it's not surprisingly, really, but it's trying to confuse their prey. It's trying to frighten their victim, put their victim uh, uh, ill at ease, trying to get them to run from the pack, from the pride of lions they may, may be with. Uh, it's trying to get them into a place of danger. The roar of a lion is to get the animal they're chasing away from uh, the other uh, animals they're with. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, Nehemiah's enemies are back. And his enemies are prowling around like a pack of lions. And they're trying, they're determined to bring him down. But as we'll see, Nehemiah stands firm again. And he prays that powerful prayer, Lord, now strengthen my hands. And they, these enemies of his, they have tactics and uh, we're going to think about three ways, uh, three common ways in which uh, he was attacked and three ways by which we might be under attack as well by the enemy who is against us. So let's look at the first way that Nehemiah is facing danger, the first tactic that his enemies bring against him, and that is isolation. Nehemiah, we can see, is tempted to be drawn away from those around him tempted to leave his people and his work. Let's read again verses 1 through to 4. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. This is a big achievement. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Let's not downside it. What they have done is a huge achievement. They have rebuilt the walls in record time. And the only thing they haven't done as yet is to put the gates in place. It's a monumental task that they have almost done. But be aware of what can happen when you're near that finishing line. Be aware of the letdown that can come when you're near the finishing line. Nehemiah, it's obvious, he's outprayed, he's outlasted, he's outmaneuvered his enemies. That is obvious. Uh, He is a resolute leader. And he's only got the last few things to do. He's just got these these gates to, to put in place in the right places around the walls. And it would have been an easy thing, not surprisingly, it would have been an easy thing to have let his guard down. To thought to himself, well, I've nearly done it. I can relax a bit now. We can relax a bit as a people. And yet we have these three, as I've called them, the pantomime ugly sisters, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, who hear that this is the case, who know that they have nearly finished the work, and this is their last chance to, dis- to derail and to stop the project. So they're going to have to do something quite drastic. They're going to either have to do away with him, they're going to have to either kill him or put him off to discredit him somehow. 
And they've got to do it now. And there in there already is a lesson for us in our walk with the Lord as well. As soon as you start, or as soon as I start patting myself on the back and saying, well done, Peter, or well done, John, or well done, whatever you want to call, uh, put a name at the end of that, well done, uh, you know, aren't I so great as a Christian? How amazingly I, I, I am as a Christian, how well I pray, you know, how, how often I go to church, uh, how well I read the Bible. As soon as we start doing that, you know, patting on the back of ourselves, we open ourselves up to attack. We cease, we're ceasing to be vigilant, vigilant. We're ceasing to be diligent. And we are opening ourselves up to attack. And notice what uh, his enemies are asking him to do. Come. Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. What they're doing, you see, is drawing him away from the others. They want him to leave the others. They want him to leave the safety of Jerusalem, the city, and they want him to leave the safety of his relationships. And the same is true for you and I. The enemy wants you and I to be isolated. And their invitation is, is, is subtle and inviting. Uh, they're saying essentially, well, let's meet on neutral grounds. Let's go to one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, you may not know, but Ono is a, a plain about 20 miles from Jerusalem. It is, was considered that, at that time a neutral place, but it was on the borders of Samaria, or near the border of Samaria. And Samaria is where Sambalat is from. So Nehemiah, he can't prove that this apparent peace conference is a trap but he suspects it might be he suspects as it says that they're scheming to harm him so he sends his regrets he says i'm carrying on a great project and i cannot go down why should the work stop while i leave it and go down to you so nehemiah you see is wise he's a wise man he says i've got a job to do i've got a job to finish if there's going to be peace between you and I, if there's going to be harmony between us, then it is going to be as a result of you accepting my terms, not me accepting your terms. And the inference is, is that he's saying, you come to me in Jerusalem if you want to meet me. So what do we learn from that? Well, the, the, the thing is, you see, Satan wants us to be on our own. He wants us to be lonely. He wants us to be isolated. If you were here last week, Ivan was preaching and, and he put to us many, many challenges. And one of the challenges he put to us was about relationship and community and engaging with other people. And uh, how do we do that? How good are we, are we at doing that? Are we effective that, at that? Uh, it might be after the service. It might be in home groups. It might be at other times in the week when we meet with each other. Do we have close relationships with our brothers and sisters? Or is it that surface, you know, hi, how are you? Yes, I'm fine, moving on kind of thing. Because the evil one, he hates close relationships. He doesn't like those. He's trying to draw us always out of fellowship. 
And so he'll put, put that thought in your mind. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to go to a home group. You don't need to go to the prayer time. You don't need to go to the, uh, you know, that fellowship time. He's always trying to get us on our own. And so he'll give us those options, those opportunities that, that, that seem neutral, but are actually putting us in danger. So that's the first thing that Nehemiah withstands, this danger of isolation, getting us on our own and like a lion, drawing us away from the others, picking us off. We need to pray, Lord, strengthen my hands. The second danger he faces is that of insinuation. And insinuation is about questioning of motives. It's about creating uncertainty. Let's read again verses 5 to 9. Then the fifth time, Sambalat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these, to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So, come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. That unsealed letter is significant. If it had been a sealed letter, it would have been just for Nehemiah. It would have been for his eyes alone. But it's unsealed, which means that the senders are wanting other people to know about it. They're wanting other people to know what it's saying. They want the accusations to be public. And so look at how they insinuate against Nehemiah. They say some people are saying, And so what they're doing is, you see, they're beginning to spread rumours. And rumours can be so destructive. Some people are saying. And when you hear some people are saying, that normally means, actually, I am saying what I am thinking. And then then they say, it is reported among the nations. Well, there's a roaring lion, isn't there? And this this is to make Nehemiah think, that everyone is beginning to think the worst about him. It is reported among the nations. And so the enemy, you see, is lying. They're using lies. And, and their lie is full of lies. And so these pantomime ugly sisters, they're spreading rumors among these lines. Nehemiah, everyone can see that this leadership has gone to your head. Now that these walls have been rebuilt, you're going to declare yourself king and you're going to rebel against Artaxerxes. And we face that, don't we, in our discipleship. The enemy tries to get us to doubt ourselves and he puts us ill at ease and he questions our motives at every turn. So what do we do in the face of that sort of attack? Well, I think there's a, there's a difference here. We've got to be people who are doing, if you like, self-examination or self-reflection. We've got to be thinking about our motives, reflecting on our attitudes, reflecting on our actions. That's healthy. That's good. But what the devil is doing, he's throwing accusations at them. 
or at Nehemiah. He's, he's, he's saying things that are going to rob him of his peace, rob him of his joy. But Nehemiah, you see, he's got confidence in his God. He knows that what they're saying is wrong. It is not true. And so resolutely he says back to them, nothing like this has happened. You're making it up out of your head. It's great, isn't it? You're making it up. And so the enemy's goal with us all the time is to weaken our resolve. To have it go at us all the time. And so Nehemiah understands that they're trying to frighten the people. Do you see how they're doing it? This unsealed letter is circulating these rumors. Circulating rumors that Nehemiah is going to rebel. He's going to lead the people in rebellion. And the full force of the Persian Empire is going to come down against them. Crash against them very soon. They might be destroyed because of a rumor. And so Nehemiah prays that powerful short prayer. Now strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. You see, prayer is and always will be our greatest weapon. With every threat, against every threat or every accusation, it's a reminder to pray, to get on our knees and pray. So I'm going to finish the first part of my talk at this point, and Sarah is going to help us just to do something as a response to these first two things that we have just been thinking about. Right, our second part of the reading is from Nehemiah again, chapter 6, verses 10 to 14. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabel, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said... Should a man like me run away, or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me, because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat? Oh my God, because of what they have done, remember also the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Now then, who's remembered? What was the first two points I made in my talk? Two eyes. What's the first danger we're under? Isolation. Second one? Insinuation. So, Nehemiah's faced two dangers so far, hasn't he? He's faced the danger of isolation, being uh, tempted to be drawn away from the others, tempted to leave the safety of Jerusalem. And he's withstood that. And he said, no, I'm not going to leave. I've got a great work to do which needs to be finished. And then he's faced this unsealed letter, this uh, pack of lies, these rumors that he's going to be made king and he's going to rebel against the emperor. And he said, no, nothing 
that you said is true. You're making it up. I am going to stay here. And he prays that great prayer, Lord, strengthen my hands. And so we get to the third danger he faces, the third way his enemies are trying to bring him down, trying to discredit him, trying to bring him down. And we've, we see this third way of intimidation. In other words, they're saying, well, you're not going to make it. You're never going to finish it. Let's read that passage again that Chris has just read, but I'll read it again because it does merit uh, rereading. Verses 10 through to 14. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would, get, they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Just think of the news that we see, and uh, we see the Prime Minister uh, at a, a conference uh, or a meeting, and we see the band of advisors that they have around her, or a president, uh, a band of advisors they have around them all the time, giving them advice, giving them uh, some ways of responding. I'm tempted to say something about President Donald Trump, but I will resist the temptation to say anything about his advisors. But anyway, Nehemiah has, a, it would seem, a bunch of prophets around him. Uh, people who are advising him, uh, some of whom are good prophets, some of whom are false prophets. And it's likely, uh, from what we know about Nehemiah, it's likely that he knew this one, Shemaiah, the son of Deliah. And uh, uh, he wouldn't have gone to just anybody. He, we know a little bit about him. Uh, so it, it looks like he, to a certain extent, thought, well, Shemaiah's a good prophet. And so he takes up the invitation to go and see him. And so this friend, Shemaiah, has got some information. Uh, he may have a divine insight. And so he tells Nehemiah, well, there's a plot there to kill you. There's, a, uh, there's some people out there who want to, uh, to get rid of you. They're coming to, uh, to kill you. And so he urges Nehemiah to... Uh, to save his life and to take refuge in the temple. And so he said, well, let's meet in the house of God. And it's a plausible suggestion, isn't it? It, it, it makes sense. It's a, it's a good place to meet. It's a holy place to be. We must go inside the temple and shut the doors. Now remember, these are claiming to be prophets. Shemaiah and some others are claiming to be prophets. They claim to have words from the Lord for Nehemiah. And so again, Nehemiah is facing a situation. Is he going to go with this? Is he going to go along with what seems like a plausible and a sensible way forward of avoiding danger? Or will he obey God? What does he say? So he replies, should a man like me run away... Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. You see, Nehemiah is a layman. 
in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures are very, very clear about who is allowed into the temple sanctuary. And if you're not a priest, if you go into the temple sanctuary in those times, you are likely to be struck down. God was absolutely clear about this. It is only the priests who are allowed inside the sanctuary. There's the case in Isaiah. King Uzziah is struck down by leprosy by going into the, uh, the, the temple sanctuary. And so he realizes the danger that he's in. And so he, he, he says that uh, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And so Nehemiah understands the law, God's law, uh, that shows that these prophets are false prophets. They're trying to lure him away. They're trying to bring him down. These are the lies of the enemy, of his enemies, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. But think about it. Who would have blamed Nehemiah if he'd have done this? Who would have blamed Nehemiah if he'd gone into the temple courts, into the temple sanctuary to save his own life? The people of Judah respected him. They admired him. They, 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 they saw him as a great leader. And surely God would have turned a blind eye to his offense. Surely, if we follow the advice of this prophet. But no, he's resolute to go God's way. Should a man like me run away? Should one like me run into the temple to save his life? I will not go. So his enemies are intimidating him. They're trying to put fear into him. And the same is true for you and I in our walk with Jesus. The enemy is trying to get us to sort of focus on our own skin, to save our own skin. He'll try and get us to take the easy way out. And if he can intimidate you, he's made you ineffective. So what can we learn from this passage today? What are you going to take away with you? What, am I, what are we going to put into practice from looking at this? Well, there may be that, that um, danger or that temptation of isolation. That temptation to, to not be in fellowship or to just not go and be in fellowship with other believers. It may just be to not really want to be accountable to others in how we're doing in our walk with Christ. Just very briefly, this week I've been away for two days on a retreat, and every few months I go with some friends of mine who I train at college with. And we, we, we go and we pray and we walk and we share and we are honest with each other about how we are doing as Christians, as believers, as people, as blokes. And it's so good, it's so healthy, just to, to be honest with people about how I am. And they can pray for me and I can pray for them. Such a good thing to do. Because you see, if Satan can convince you that it's just between you and God, and it's no one else's business at all, then he's got you where he wants you. Because there's power in corporate worship. There's power in corporate prayer. There's power in meeting together. There's power in being together for fellowship and support. There's in small groups, prayer triplets, home groups, whatever you want to call it. And if you're not in a home group, I know we need to talk about this as a church, but if you're not, let's come and see me or uh, find a warden and, and we'll point you in the right direction of how you can get into a, a group like that. But the main thing is avoid being isolated. So there may be something that uh, you need to think about. 
Or it may be this, this insinuation. And remember how Nehemiah stands up to it. He knows God's word. He, he, he's dwelt in God's word. He's let God's word soak into him. So that when the lies come, he knows that it's, it's false. When those motive, his motives are being questioned, he knows that he's standing on God's truth. So yes, it's an obvious one, but it's such a, a true one. We need to understand God's word as much as we can. Get into it. Read it. Let it soak into you. Let it soak into us. Let God speak to you as you read it on your own and, and with other people. And pray. Prayer, as I said, is always our greatest weapon. Always. Let that, uh, those accusations be a reminder to pray. Pray on your own. Pray with others. Get involved in the prayer week that's coming up. All these opportunities we have to pray. Or it might be that last one, intimidation. The enemy's goal is to make you fear, to make you run. And if you're running, it's much easier to defeat you. But what does God's word say? It says, perfect love casts out all fear. God is with us. He's with you. He's with me. We can't escape persecution. We shouldn't escape bad things. We shouldn't escape suffering as believers. But at those times of difficulty, those times of trial, call to mind what Nehemiah prays. That powerful and short prayer. Now strengthen my hands. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, Sarah's again going to invite us uh, as, uh, to respond in, in a way that uh, Sarah will explain. But let me just pray as I finish um, now. Lord, would you strengthen our hands? Would you make us resolute in our walk with you? Would you help us to withstand those things that come, as against, come against us? the lies of the evil one, the accusations of the enemy, or uh, ways in which the enemy uh, comes against us in different, in different guises. Lord, help us as a church body to be resolute, to be determined, to stand uh, on the truth of your words. And also, Lord, to be open to the guiding and leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.